Hello, I'm Graham King and welcome to Headbolts, a podcast in which I speak to interesting people about cars. This week, my guest is the editor of carandclassic.co.uk, uh, one of the biggest uh, classic car classified ad- uh, classified websites there is on the internet uh, and he's Chris Chris Pollitt. Hi Chris, how are you doing? Hello, yes, glad to uh, glad to be here. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been trying to put this together for a while, but one way or another, it's uh, it's not really worked out. Um, no, I'm I'm ludicrously busy and a bit flaky, which doesn't help matters. So. Yeah, I mean, th- you, you're certainly busy um, with uh, Car and Classic because it's not just um, writing copy for the uh, magazine section of the website. You're heavily involved with the auction side of it as well, aren't you? Yes, yeah, I've been... Uh, I don't want to get carried away myself, but I've been a reasonably large part of that, yeah. Yeah. Which, um, uh, you, yeah, it's it's... It's mad how that's how that's going. So, yeah, you, you, in a good way. You're basically um, going out to photograph the cars and write the listings and so on and so on, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I uh, I get that. I mean, it's it's a it's a difficult it's a tricky one to explain because it's not to uh, it's not to belittle the other cars, but I I'm in the uh, advantageous position of I get to cherry pick basically what <laughs> I go out and, and take pictures of. Um, because I've got the lights and all that. And if it's something that I'm taking pictures of, then the chances are I'll want to do an editorial piece on it as well. So it just makes sense for me to do it. But yeah, it's a, it's, it's a tough job going, driving around the country, looking at nice cars and taking pictures of them, but someone's got to do it. Yeah. You've, you've been out to see some fairly unusual ones. What was that Plymouth cricket you went to see recently? Yeah. Plymouth cricket there. Um, yeah. That was up in, uh, up in sort of Cannock, Staffordshire. Um, they're lovely people uh, who own that. They had a Avenger Tiger that they sold with us last year. Um, and they said, you know, when that goes, we'll have some more. And then didn't hear anything. And then they got in touch a couple of months ago and said, we've, we've got this Plymouth Cricket, which they showed me last time I was there. Um, for people that don't know, the Plymouth Cricket is, to all intents and purposes, it's a Hillman Avenger. But Hillman, as part of um, being, being, being part of Chrysler, Chrysler wanted to get into the American market, which was obviously in the late 60s, early 70s, looking towards more economical, smaller cars. So they thought, I know, we'll rebadge an Avenger. And they did. And they put it in America. And the Americans went, no. <laughs> so yeah. They sold very few. But this one was, was, was rare in that it's the only right-hand drive. The, the story goes, it, it, came from the, it came from the Roots factory as a, as a development mule, a sort of proof of concepts, if you will. And then they didn't, it's not like today where you have pre-prod cars that they, they do test on and then throw in the shredder. Back then they used to sell them. Mm. So it, it went to this dealer as a right-hand drive Plymouth cricket and got sold. And, but these guys, they managed to buy all the parts um, mm. from the Roots factory when it was being demolished. Yeah. So they got this car and they had everything to, to, to restore it. Um, even down to the fiberboard little covers in the boot around the back of the lights wow you know those really hard to find bits like it's got a dash top in it that isn't cracked it's, yeah it, it's trivial things but stuff that if you own that car you'd never find it yeah i and, i uh, i always my my uh sort of ears always prick up whenever i see an event uh an avenger or one of its derivatives for sale because it was uh uh, my parents had an Avenger estate from when I was born until I was about five. <laughs> so I, I have 
I have lots of uh, happy memories of an Avenger, although the two that really stick out weren't quite so good because but my, my strongest memory of it, it had black vinyl seats. Fun in but summer. Burning hot day. Of course, I was wearing shorts. My mum put me down on the back seat and, you know, it was instant, you know, burned the skin off the back of your legs hot. I was screaming. You've not had an old car unless you get third degree burns off a seat. Yeah. And it was even worse because I was actually, um, the the, uh, seatbelt buckle was obviously black plastic as well. And that was really hot as well. And she put me on that as well. (laughs) So it was like all around my legs. Um, and then the other one was again my mum. Uh, she managed to uh, spin it whilst I whilst I was in it with her. Um, oddly enough, we got rid of it not long after that. I feel like I should phone the NSPCC or something, like, <laughs> make, make a retrospective donation or something to offset that. That was that was some trauma in an event. Yeah, but it, I, I was at a car show a couple of years ago, and there was a uh, I, I yeah donkey's year since i'd seen an avenger estate and then at this car show there was one the exact same year and model um not the i think it was beige mum and dad's was like baby blue but yeah it was the exact same age and model must have been like the only one left in the country (laughs) um but uh yeah the uh auction uh platform on uh car and classics that's been going a couple of years now um that well, was we're just, we're just coming up to one year now one year um one year next month yeah. and it it's only been going a year and yet it was among the sort of one of the first two or three and now there's what half a dozen of them it was sort of at the at, at the start of this explosion of online auctions there's been yeah it's as as car people will know ebay is just don't it's it's hell to sell a car on ebay these yeah days. and these other sites popped up obviously you had you had the market and you've got collecting cars and what have you and the the logic dictated that as a business you know we, we've got thirty thousand classified adverts why don't we do auctions so we built yeah. the platform and uh, yeah it's you know it's going it's going great guns when we when we started we were getting excited when you know we had one auction ending every day yeah and we might sell you know fifty thousand pounds worth of cars in a week and then last night in one night we sold a quarter of a million pounds worth of cars yeah on a wednesday yeah you know, it's, it's nothing it's fine yeah but it's it's, it's... and, and the, the speed it's growing and the team's expanding and it's yeah it's but people trust the internet now it's yeah it's not it's not that scary thing that it once was people trust it and they see it as a as a, a viable means of transacting and yeah you, know, you put the car on there and this is this is not just us this is this is you know the other sites as well you go onto these sites and you get your professional pictures hundreds of them and you get your big long write-up so then when when joe bugs turns up to buy the car they just pay the money and off they go yeah it's there's no there's no kickback there's no oh i didn't know about that and then you know with ours we've got the escrow thing as well which makes it even more secure which nobody yeah. else has got that's 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 our usp to go all dragon's den on it um yeah it's, it's good you know yeah it keeps me out of trouble so i'm not complaining and now the now the uh traditional auction houses are moving into it as well um bonhams has bought out the market and uh silverstone auctions has set up um is it automotive auctions they call theirs yes um 
Yeah, uh, you, you say it, it's kind of come up because um, uh, selling a car on eBay is is such a shit experience. Yeah, but awful. also, you know, buying a car off eBay is isn't exactly a uh, an easy proposition because the, the 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 adverts are so hit and miss. But with these with these online platforms, because the the uh, uh, um, pictures and descriptions are produced professionally to a set standard, you 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 know what you're getting much more than you do yeah. with eBay. You're not gonna you know you're not gonna get it home and find out that half the floors rusted away. Exactly. And because because these platforms are so easy, because it is, you know, bid, sell, person turns up, takes car, gone. Because it's that easy, it it sort of starts to self-serve the market because it then makes it easier for, for customer A to sell his car because he's always wanted, you know, X. He's always wanted a 911 or whatever. So he just sells it and then goes and buys his car and it's rinse and repeat. People can go through cars and they can experience more cars because they've not, they're not facing that roadblock of, of the difficulty of selling it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's also interesting to see, um, how, uh, the, the, the type of cars that, um, are going through these auctions is changing as well. Cause it, uh, when they first started, you know, it, it was, I guess younger sellers who were more comfortable, um, with, uh, selling, um, in that way and they were selling more sort of modern classics but now it's coming down to the much older stuff as well yeah. um from the 60s and 50s it'll be really interesting to see if um sell of if uh, owners of like the the blue chip pre-war uh, mm. classic start using it because even the likes of um, rm sotheby's with their online sales there's virtually nothing um pre-war going no. through their those yet and you know only into sort of low six figures so it will be interesting to see if the owners of the really high value cars start to yeah. uh, start taking that route because if if for nothing else it's a hell of a lot cheaper for them because they're not yeah. paying they're not paying 10 percent in seller's fees yeah, absolutely. And people, you know, when they, when 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 the sellers make that leap and, and they do put the cars on the platform, invariably they'll sell. You know, I've I did last year. I did a nineteen nineteen twelve, I think it was Morris Bullnose, mm. and that sold. And yeah. we've done Little Austin Sevens. Last night we sold a, a nineteen thirty seven Cord Eight Twelve. Yeah, um, you know it's. We're we're looking. We've got a good team, and we've got a bit of a we've got a, we've got a sort of um, PR um, extension, if you will, um, at our disposal. So we can we can shout about these cars that are, that are interested, and you know, if it's something that you've got to find the audience for, we'll we'll find it because mm. it's, there's good stuff, you know. And and we don't discriminate. We'll we'll do a we'll do a no reserve metro. Uh, yeah. Or we'll do we'll do a Ferrari. You know, three thirty. We it, it doesn't matter. We'll do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the variety of cars that comes off is amazing as well. I was looking at um, collecting cars today, and they've got an absolutely mint um, sort of eighty eight, eighty nine Panda four before with bull bars and knobbly tires. <laughs> it, it's awesome. It's like wait, so wait. We, we've got a Clio. Um, I've got to say this right now. We, a Clio is it a Baccarat? 
Bacara, I think. Bacara, yeah. yeah. We've, we've got one of those coming in. A, f- a friend of mine who I used to work with messaged me out of the blue and said, my mother-in-law's got this car and she wants like 100 quid for it. And I was like, hey, auction it. Yeah. So, so it's no reserve. It's got a couple of dents, but it's a Clio back and it's a three-door as well. Yeah. Is it 1.8? Uh, on the 1.4, this one. Oh, uh, right. Okay. It's, it's only a baby, this one. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, yeah, we're, that, we're, that, that will go we'll for a couple anything. of grand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Interesting you mentioned that car because I've got a theory. Um, I might have mentioned it here before, but I can't remember. I'll be interested for your take on it. Um, we're roughly the same age, late 30s. Um, it seems to me that our generation uh, cares more about the sort of more prosaic everyday stuff from our era, the 80s and 90s, than previous generations did of similar cars from their era. I mean, I think we're both old enough to remember when sort of 60s and 70s cars came back around. And the focus was almost entirely on the sports cars and supercars and a bit on you know stuff like escort mexicos and rs 2000s and that kind of thing but no one gave a shit about a voxel victor but you know and a, a, a mint cavalier comes up now and you know large parts large parts of the internet that we inhabit are absolutely swooning over it mm. i i i, I i'm it, it's a curious thing in our generation that we're really valuing um, that more everyday stuff, and I haven't really worked out why. I, I I would, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. I would hazard a guess as psychologically speaking, before before the the, the sort of computer age that we're in now, the sort of late eighties, nineties, and onwards. Before then, cars it was you know between between the 40s and the 70s it was they evolved but it was a more gentle evolution mm. compared to the up and to the right we've got now and also everything else in the world didn't get that high tech that fast it all sort of happened 80s 90s and onwards yeah and now for people our age when we see that Cavalier 1.6 or something like that. It's a twofold thing. A, it, it harks back to our our youth, as it were. Um, you know, a Cavalier 1.6 might not be much, but when I was 18, I couldn't afford that. I'd have I'd have sold a limb for, to be seen in a, in a Cavalier. <laughs> um, and the other thing as well is there's a greater chasm now between a car from 20 years ago than there was in 1970 in terms of the advancements and the technology and all that. Yeah. It's a more, for me, you know, 90, I say 99 because of the Rover 800, but 2000 is about the cutoff for me in in terms of what I find interesting because anything after that you can't, it gets a bit more difficult to put a set of spanners on it. Yeah. The the older stuff's that bit more, it's, it's a nice crossroads. It's, they're modern enough that you can drive, but they're still nice and distant away from all the technology that we're being drowned in today. So they, they've still got a bit of charm to them. Yeah. And I, I don't think, know. It might all be nonsense. I Well, no, I, th- I, th- I think you're onto something, certainly. I mean, f- for me, um, my sort of main era of interest stretch, stretches up to about 2010. But I think for, for our age group specifically, 
um, with this you know stuff from our childhood. Um, I think part of the interest part of the interest in it might be driven by kind of a an end of days feeling because mm. you know electric cars are coming and you know we're going to be in our mid 40s by the time you know new cars are all electric so we're going to be stuck with them for 40 or 50 years of our life whereas older generations who are interested in older cars sort of aren't going to be um so maybe there's and you know I, I, I personally doubt it's going to happen, but maybe there is this feeling that, you know, owning and using a, an old petrol engine car is going to become much more difficult as this century goes on. And maybe, mm. there, maybe there's a feeling of um, uh, uh, sort of revere and value this stuff whilst we still can. Mm. Yeah, there could well be a bit of that. Certainly for some people, I think I think a lot of people, they, uh, you know, they they take it to heart what they what they see on the red tops and and so on about electric this and this that and the other. I, I I'm not of that school of thought. I I think we'll have petrol cars for a long, long time. Mm. I think I think realistically, my grandkids might not. I think I think it's my like my my daughter's fourteen, so I think it's her generation that will see the big shift. But yeah, you know, everyone's all about you know the environment and global warming and so forth, and rightly so. But at the same time, and I'm saying this from a purely selfish point of view, Shell and BP aren't just going to roll over. Yeah, they they still want their pound of flesh. They're still going to want people. They'll they'll never say it publicly, but they'll still want people to drive cars. Yeah, you know. The petrochemical industry is worth billions and billions and billions. It's yeah. it's the biggest power in the world. So there will be a change and there will be a shift. And I think that will leave people like us in a good position because I think, like you say, the, if, if people are worried about it and the, the, it's, it's like that last grab of the straw now, that's why they're buying these cars, I think they'll be pleasantly surprised when we can keep using them for a bit longer. Mm. Um, Maybe I'm maybe I'm an eternal optimist, but you know the classic car industry is worth five billion pound. I, I can't. It would be a shame to just suddenly descend on that and make it go away. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What what's out? What's sort of stuck in your mind as something you just don't see out on the road anymore? For me, it's the Renault Laguna, partly because my granddad had one, the the uh, the Mark One Laguna. Um, but also, I was thinking the other day, um, I, the, the other one that really sticks out for me is um, Mark, I guess, 5 and 6, depending on how you want to define it, but basically 90s escorts, again, because my dad had one. But um, I was uh, just walking, <laughs> walking through town the other day, and the thought occurred to me, I can't remember the last time I saw a Mark, a Mark 3 Mondeo, which mm. is a recent car. But yeah. when you think it, it went out of production in 2006, which is 15 years ago now. No, it's not. You stopped that. <laughs> so, yeah, but by most standards, a, even a, a last of line Mark III Mondeo is now an old car. I don't like that. Yeah. But yeah, it's still, still a modern car to me. Yeah, but is, is 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 there anything like that that sort of really sticks in your mind as just something you don't see anymore? I think 
and I'm not I'm not doing this deliberately to talk about my own cars, but my own cars. Um, <laughs> I, I get I, it's well, I get used to seeing um, Rover 800s, for example, on yeah. Facebook because I'm part of a group. Um, not not to be all nerdy about Rover 800s, it's just useful for parts. Yeah, but I've seen two on the road, in, yeah. and I've had that car three years. Yeah, and I've I've seen two on the road. I saw, one was last week. The other was no three. The other was exactly like mine, and it was broken down brilliantly. Hmm. Um, and there was a, a, a green Sterling appeared outside my flat. So yeah. I've seen them. And there was the one I had. I had a, I had a Mark One at the same time as I had the Mark Two. Yeah. So that's 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 five that I've seen. But you just you don't you know, and they used to be fairly common. And yeah. and the other one is the the Citroen ZX that I've got, the Volcan. Um, you know that was used on some banger rallies, and then it sat in a lockup garage for five years because five years ago it was just a banger. Yeah. And now there's like four left or something ludicrous. Yeah. Of of the two liter eight valve Volcan, there's there's it's it's count on one hand. Yeah. That are, that are on the road, and you know mine's hideous, but it's on the road. Yeah. Um, it's 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 always the the, the ones that had the the greatest ubiquity, isn't it? Like Marlon yeah. Mondeos. You know, you they get just, excited when you see a Marlon Mondeo. Yeah, they, they, they don't just, exist anymore. They don't exist. I mean, the propensity to rust, and you know, probably at this stage. At least ten thousand have been banger raced. Oh God, yeah. Um, and you yeah, know, they the pe- really strong. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 they're still quite common because you know races were stockpiling them by the by the dozen. Um, but yeah, there's there's all kinds of that sort of thing. I mean, the the only um, Paul Carser. Yeah, the the only thing sort of late nineties early 2000s that I still see in any great quantity are Mark 1 focuses simply because they sold so friggin' many of them Um, and uh, kind of weirdly um, Mark 4 Astras and Mark 2 Corsas yeah we we, we sort of take for granted we sort of take voxels for granted but Certainly, uh, the, the Mark IV, the Mark Four Astra, and the Mark II Corsa were really tough. Mm. And all the ones I see, you know, they might be a bit dogged, but they still all look really solid. Yeah, that's a good put. The yeah, but I mean, even yeah, more Mark II Corsas than Mark Ones. Yeah, I mean, even stuff like th- think you stuff you'd think would last longer, like Mark IV Golfs, you hardly see any of them because they're, you know, th- though they were well built when they were new, their long term durability actually wasn't that good. Well, I'm trying to think of other stuff now. I mean, you still see a fair few K, uh, K11, K10. Mark II micros, yeah, K11, K11. Um, but you know they lasted up until um, sort of two thousand and three, four. Um, and again, never ever do an emergency stop in one of those. It's terrifying. <laughs> but yeah, an- another car, actually much like the Mark One Focus and Mark Four Astra, a car that's still around in quite some quantity despite the banger races. Mm. Um. Yeah, but I mean, you just 
anything that was launched before about 2005, you just don't see around anymore. No, it's, I think that's when we get, when you get to that era, you're getting into the many computers and yeah. many ECUs and, and, and just, we're, we're, we're spoiled in one way, but we're cursed in the UK in that the used car market is so damn cheap. Yeah. You know, it's, you can get a, and a, not deliberately trying to segue into my own thing, but, but that's a website that I have. You can get a lot of car for a couple of grand. Yeah. And a nice car. You know, we're talking E-class, C-class Mercedes, BMW 3 Series, like E90s, E60s, yeah. nice cars. Because we're just spoiled. But at the same time, it makes it so easy to throw them away. Because yeah. they're not worth a lot to some people. I, I went to a breaker's yard in, in Yate near me last year. And there was a Peugeot 407. Nobody cares about 407. But yeah. it, was, it was sat on top of a stack of tires. And it was clean. And it still had tire tire gel on the tires yeah i was like what and i asked the bloke and he's like oh it came from a dealer they had it in part x and nobody bought it so we just weighed it in and i checked it it had 11 months mot on it yeah no advisories and it was just on sat on top of a pile of tires yeah but we're, 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 we're just spoiled here yeah we're, we're in kind of an odd position because that you occasionally hear americans wondering um, why their used cars are so expensive compared to ours. Because, um, you know, uh, the, the, the 2003 C-Class that costs sort of 500 quid here costs five or six grand over there. Um, and it's, it, it must be, because, and, you know, you, you look at your, Europe generally, um, their residual values are much stronger. And it mm. must be because we're an island of right-hand drive surrounded by left-hand drive. That must be the I only reason. Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, there, there's a, a chap on YouTube that I'm sure some people will follow called Larry Casilla, who he has uh, uh, ammo, ammo New York. He like does vehicle detailing and what have you. Mm. And he did, he did a video recently on this awful, awful E60 525 IX. Mm. Um, and it was it was vile, but it was he was cleaning it up so that they could break it for parts for a charity, which is you know a great thing to do. Yeah. Anyway, he gets to the end of the video, and this car doesn't run, and he's he has a look and he's like, it's probably worth four thousand dollars, mate. That's a that's a nine hundred pound car on a good day. Yeah, yeah. But, it's... but over there, he's, he's like, back seats are like two hundred and fifty dollars used. I'm like, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous, and yeah, and the the the. I don't know if um, there's a different mindset um, sort of in Europe than there is here, but the European Europeans are uh, there are more older cars still on the road in Europe than there are here. Um, I don't know if 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 the, because their cars are comparatively worth more, they're more inclined to do the maintenance on it when. Uh, a reasonably expensive bill comes in, but yeah, yeah, the, you know, if a couple of sensors go wrong on your E65 series, it's a fifteen hundred quid, two grand job to fix. And if it's only worth yeah. two and a half grand, sort of, what's the point? Yeah, I mean, in Europe, I don't know each the rules for each individual country. I, I believe it's the case for Italy, but some. 
in some European countries, the number plate doesn't pertain to anything, does it? It's no. Age of vehicle. No. And we're, we've always been big on, I know it's twice a year now, but I, when I was a kid, you know, first of August was a big deal. How many, yeah. how many new reg cars could you spot? Yeah. And I think there's a lot of that, a lot of that sort of keeping up with the Joneses going on over here, mm. which, which might be, I mean, I know it's the DVLA, but it makes you wonder if it's some sort of very clever sort of industry propping thing, because as you say, we're a right hand drive island surrounded by a left hand drive. So how do you keep the market buoyant? Mm. Well, you, you give them you give them some green some apparently greener grass yeah i used to work for a Vauxhall dealership and I, I worked for a fiat dealership as well um selling fiat 500s which was the easiest job in the world it was it was no more difficult than selling bread yeah and <laughs> you'd have people come in with a two-year-old car and they'd put them in to put them in on pcp in a brand new one for less money a month just so they could get the registrations. Registrations matter so much. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what it's like in Europe. I don't know if there's a if there's if it's psychologically a different thing. Yeah. And then you've got places like Paris where it's like, well, what is the point in having a nice car? <laughs> well, yeah, because it's gonna it's gonna be smashed up to shit yeah. in five minutes anyway. Yeah. And I, I'm not being horrible to people in Paris. I've I've been there. I, so I, don't, have I. I, don't know. I went there in a Morgan, which was terrifying. Um and th- th- there is not a there is not a car in Paris with a straight panel on it. Yeah, yeah, I. It, it was terrifying. In the end, I just drove like a Parisian, and I was fine. Yeah, I. I, I um, you go, the more inclined they are to get out of the way. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I've driven in Paris a couple of times. I've, I've, uh, I've mentioned on here before. I don't know if you know. I've been a coach driver in the past. Yes, um, yeah. I've not I've not driven a coach in Paris myself, but I've I've driven uh, in Paris with uh, a driver who spent um, five years doing a weekly Paris tour. He knew the place like the back of his hand, um, and uh, we were running empty. Um, we dropped our passengers off. We were going to go and park up, and we're coming up to the Arc de Triomphe. And he says, "Have you ever been around the Arc de Triomphe in a in a ve- in a vehicle before?" I was like, "No." He says, "Watch this." He floored it, and without even looking, he swung out onto the Arc de Triomphe at like forty miles an hour because he knew they were going to stop. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't... can't be defensive. You've got to be on the attack. Yeah, the the, the one time I've driven in Paris myself. Um, I was actually on a, I was on the Kia Sportage launch back in 2016. I was driving it back from Nice where the launch had been to the, to the UK. We stopped for the night in Paris and um, we left at like six in the morning. Um, and then, uh, the route out of, out of the city took us through the, uh, Trocadero at the end of the Champs-Élysées. Um, and it happened that, um, I uh, I ended up um, uh, uh, at the front of the queue at the traffic lights on one side of the Trocadero. Um, and I'm looking at the drivers beside me and they're both Parisian taxi drivers who are not going to take prisoners and it does narrow a bit <laughs> across the tra- Trocadero. And I was like, hmm, what's my best strategy here? <laughs> so I'd, the lights the turned green. I just gun it. I, I, the lights turned green and I floored it. And for, for people who've not been uh, to Paris before, the Trocadero ju- Junction, it's basically like a, it's, a, it's a sort of oval roundabout um, that's about three, four hundred yards long. 
um, and I floored it and uh, the lights on the other side turned red <laughs> and by the time I hit the brakes for them I was doing like 60. <laughs> that was good fun but uh, yeah you, 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 when, when you go to a European city you've got to drive like the got to drive like the locals <laughs> and the only way you're going to survive it yeah uh, uh, when we were there and uh, this this will sound made up but it's absolutely true when, when we were there we we went over with in, in this Morgan and another Morgan and my my boss publisher in his Land Rover um, and we so we drove over in convoy and, and the first night we got there we were going to see a friend of the publisher a chap called AC who's he's passed away now sadly but wonderfully eccentric man he had loads of cars dotted around paris in underground mm. garages but anyway he says we'll go out for dinner one evening he says meet me here and i'll pick you up and he picks us up in this gorgeous 1950 something um massive mercedes minibus probably like three and a half ton right um beautiful thing fully yeah. restored fridge in its seats just gorgeous so we're loving it. You know, he's driving through Paris and it's, it's night. So it's, the roads are a little bit less busy. Anyway, we get to a junction and a Mercedes taxi clips us. Mm. So he gives chase in this bloody minibus. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he caught him. <laughs> Those things are not fast either. Yeah. And AC, bless him, he must have been he must have been 75 if he was a day at the time. So he comes bowling out and this this young fellow comes bowling out of the taxi. So then me and my photographer jump out of the minibus and just um, you know, to use a line from a, a lock stock for, for, from a Guy Rich film, we just got out and looked mean and stuff. You know, we, we weren't gonna do anything. We were we were terrified. But yeah, giving it was a good it was a good sort of five minute chase in a Mercedes coach from the fifties. It was brilliant. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, one thing um, uh, popped into my mind uh, recently, um, just sort of a, a, a moment in time in the sort of early 2000s that everyone seems to have forgotten about, but sort of stuck in my mind for reasons I'll explain. Um, remember back in the early 2000s when there were abandoned cars everywhere? When the yes. price when the price of scrap absolutely crashed, I particularly remember it because um, the street we lived on at the time, um, nice residential part of town, you know, not run down at all. Um, only about two hundred yards long, um, cars parked down both sides. It, there was there was about a hundred houses on the street, something like that. Um, on that one street, there were f six abandoned cars at one point. Mm. Um, I can I, I can even remember what most of them were, but the one, the one that particularly stuck in my mind was at the bottom of the road because I actually saw it be left. Um, it was a early eighties larder estate that was actually absolutely mint, um, but it arrived in a cloud of smoke. The engine had obviously blown up. Um, and they just parked it up at the end of the road and left it. God knows who they were or where they lived, but they never came back for it. And about three weeks later, one of the scrapyard lorries turned turned up and took all, you know, I said there were about five or six of them, just took all of them away in one go. But they were absolutely everywhere. I remember I, was, I, I lived in, uh, my, my family was in Scarborough. I was like 
16, 17 at the time. Um, and I remember one day um, walking down the main drag in town um, and there were four of these lorries in convoy heading out of town, each with about six cars on them. Mm. So every, everyone talks about the uh, scrappage scheme killing a lot of cars, but I reckon we lost a lot of sort of AC stuff in particular at that point, because it just wasn't worth anything. I remember that because a friend of mine, his, where I grew up, I'm from Manchester and there's a, there's a street in Manchester called Norton street and it's a massive long street, but it's a dead end. And at the end of it, it it's not there. They don't do it anymore. They, but it, it used to be, um, a scrapyard called Norton's, but mm. they just do haulage now, but that's by the by. Um, and at the time, further down that road, my friend's dad had an Audi garage, um, sort of servicing and repairing Audis. Mm. And it was it was becoming a problem because people would just drive down that street knowing there's a scrapyard down there and they'd just leave the cars in the street. Yeah. And then it got to the point where kids were setting them on fire. And, it, yeah, it was it was getting quite bad at one point. Yeah. But I, mean, I, vi- I vividly remember driving down there. My dad saying, looks like chuffing Beirut in, <laughs> in that way that only my dad can. Yeah, but I mean, th- th- that's at, at that point in history, I think it was around 2003, Top Gear did their first sort of proper cheap car challenge. The £100 the Cl- car challenge. The £100 car challenge. And uh, Clarkson won it with the Volvo that he paid £1 for. Yep. Because the you know, a Volvo main dealer had taken it in part exchange and it was gonna you know, he couldn't sell it on and it was gonna cost him a couple of hundred quid to scrap it. So <laughs> sell it to Clarkson or whoever for a quid and he's he, he's he's you know, up on what up on what he would have been. Yeah, I worked for a Volkswagen dealer in two thousand and one and I was I was buying the part exchanges for nothing I'm, yeah my best one was a mark one polo that i bought for 40 pounds and i sold it literally 10 minutes later for 60 pounds to the apprentice <laughs> that's a good one one of my biggest regrets i mean didn't have anywhere to use it anyway um if we'd had a field or somewhere we could have gone with it fair enough but when i was about 14 um we actually this was in Scarborough. We lived round the corner from a um, uh, uh, parts shop, a car parts shop. Um, they had a garage at the back that they dismantled cars in, and then they mm. sold the bits. Um, and occasionally they'd put stuff that they they'd been given, but they they didn't that the, the, the parts were no use to them. They put them on the street outside. And uh, at one point, I said, I've, I was only about, it's been, been about 98. Um, they had a D-Reg E28 520i uh, manual gearbox. It was absolutely hanging. Would have been a fantastic field car. They wanted 70 quid for it. Oh. <laughs> that would have been so awesome. <laughs> But they, the E twenty eight is something that's very quickly come of age because I I had one of those just before my daughter was born, and I paid three hundred quid for it and it was running driving and the clutch slave gave out on it and I sold it for sixty quid. Yeah, and it, it didn't bother, it didn't bat an eyelid because it wasn't it was it was worth sixty quid. Yeah. <laughs> one of uh, the thing one of the things about um, sort of the the, the 
era we're living through with with in terms of you know the the sort of modern classic movement is you know obviously pot arguably artificially but you know the 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 the, um sort of elevated interest there is in all this stuff is is sort of lifting up prices um and it's it's bringing a lot of stuff out the woodwork i mean to, to use a sort of sniff and sniff um term sort of deceased spec um the, the the really clean low mileage stuff and it's amazing what's coming out of the woodwork there are a lot of e28s coming out of the woodwork yep. it seems god knows where they've all been but here they <laughs> are i mean it, it's presumably because you know they've been sat in a garage for a while they only really need a service in a clean and you know what would have been basically scrapped 10 or 15 years ago is now six grand but as you say, people go bananas for, for that sort of GIFA spec 1.4 with 20,000 miles on it, yeah. even, if it's, even if it's like properly poverty spec. What, what was, wasn't there a, an 11,000 mile Perodua on Car and Classic the, the other day? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's Perodua proper disease spec, that is. Yeah. But I tell you what, I will, I, will, I will dig a trench and I will die on this hill. You put some sticky tires on one of them; they are hilarious. Yeah, they're, they're basically that is as close as you can get to an original Morris Mini. Yeah, in a modern car. They're brilliant. They're, they're basically a um, Daihatsu Myra, aren't they? Yeah, they're I just remember tightly sprung, and they just bounce around. And you know, they've only got three horsepower, but you can use every three. Yeah. Every, you can use every horse. It's it's just they're, they're great fun. They're no frills. You would not want to crash one. Yeah, um, the the doors are made out of baker foil. <laughs> they are a proper giggle. Yeah, I remember years ago talking about that that sort of car. The, the Suzuki Alto is another sort of similar sort of car. Um, yes. And you know, ev, ev, no one, most people wouldn't look twice at them. But I remember quite some years ago. Um, I th- a guy who was doing really well in the British Rally Championship at the time just turned up at his local um, uh, uh, auto. Um, I'm trying to think of the name for it. Um, you do a circuit round, um, you know, cones and brake turns. Auto test. Auto test. That's the word I'm after. Um, yeah, he just turned up his, at his local motor club auto test unannounced. Um, and he absolutely blitzed everyone and he was driving a, I think it was a sort of mid nineties Suzuki Alto that he bought for 50 quid in that week, taking the back doors and boot lid off to lighten it. <laughs> and he blitzed everyone Brilliant. in the auto test. That's all you need, a bit, of, a bit of grip and not a lot of weight and you're off. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Th- those, those sorts of, I have a theory, um, and um, if, if I had the money and space, I'd probably start stockpiling them. I have a theory that the uh, Toyota Igo, um, Citroen C1 and Peugeot 107 are going to be sort of this generation's original Mini and Morris Minor. That's a bold statement. Sort of, sort of really cheap, simple, and s- similar thing... Um, low grip, not much power, and quite a lot of fun. And the other thing with them, 
which again is like the mini actually um as as evidenced by the the guys at bad obsession motorsport there's a whole world of just off the shelf race bits yeah to make them to make them grippy and fun yeah i i i really do think that because you know so so many kids who've so many people who've started driving certainly in the last decade or so so many of them their first car was one of those Ooh. Um, and I say I re- maybe throw in the Volkswagen up and and uh, the Skoda and uh, Seat equivalents as well. I really do think in sort of twenty thirty years time, there's going to be a new generation of enthusiasts who are really into those those little cars. I hope so. It'd be nice if another generation could pick up and and sort of keep keep the interest going no matter yeah. what it's on cuz cuz they they don't know what a morris minor is and they probably don't know what a what an original mini is really but no. they do know what those are and they wouldn't know how to drive a morris minor with a with a crash first <laughs> I'm not sure I would either <laughs> and uh, you know unassisted brakes and so on yeah. and so forth well um, I think uh, you, we're we're on a bit of a tight time frame here. Chris has to get off and do something, and um, we'll probably talk again on uh, one of these podcasts. Um, so th- th- there's loads more I want to talk about, but we can get to that at some point down the line. Um, but what I will do is the uh, little uh, bit of a Q and A I've got that uh, I ask every uh, guest. Um, so we'll go through those questions. Um, away. What was the first car you ever drove? However, you want to define driving. Most most people have said um, what um, something they uh, sat on their dad or their granddad's lap, just holding the steering wheel. Yeah, first car I ever actually drove um, was my dad's uh, Ford Escort 1.4 LX when I was fourteen. E four one five ABU. Can still remember the reg. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that. And I kangarooed it across the yard, and my dad was in hysterics. <laughs> uh, remember, remember it vividly. Yeah, I, 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 I never drove anything until I actually start, started properly learning. I did a couple of the quad. I rode a quad bike a few times, but that was about Ooh. as close as I ever got. You say you remember that registration number. I only remember one of my dad's registration numbers, and it was a Maestro we had from. 93 to 96 and it was f196 pvt <laughs> just because it rolls it rolls off the tongue nicely <laughs> i can't remember i can't remember any of any of my dad's other cars reg numbers i can't remember the reg number of of any of my own cars i can barely remember the reg number of the car i've got right now <laughs> but for some reason that one really stuck in my brain um where are your favorite roads Now that's a good one. Um, I'm quite blessed in that I'm pretty close to South Wales because mm. I'm in Bristol, so I'm only a, I'm only a bridge away from uh, sort of Black Mountain Pass and things like that. That there, it's a bit of a schlep to get up there, but they're brilliant. Mm. And, but I also like it's a bit bumpy, but I'll, I just love it. Up north, if you come, if you're going across the M62 mm. uh, from from Manchester to Leeds, if you come off for Clitheroe, 
there's a great road there that runs parallel and it's it's got all yeah. the malls on the left and it's got you can see the motorway on the right and you go past the lake and all it's just a great great little road to, to yeah that, along. that that's short, the, but it's good yeah that's the stretch that goes past um the i think it builds uh, it, it actually is the highest motorway in the uk that bit the m62 just proudly says on a sign yeah just before it drops down the hill towards manchester yeah yeah i've only ever driven that road once or twice i really need to get back up there um yeah that that's a really nice part of the world you you say you're originally from uh manchester mm. um that's not that far from shropshire where i think the roads are pretty good out, out See, i'm not i'm not well versed up there i've got a friend who lives up there um out towards the welsh to border yeah it just um yeah he must be close there because when i drive to his house i i go through wales about 12 times <laughs> <laughs> it's like the road keeps dick that keeps uh, dipping in and out um, yeah i, I, I want to get out a bit more and, and go do some actual proper driving yes yeah. uh it's been a while yeah uh, it has been for all of us really i think i need to do the same um what is your favorite car film i expand that not necessarily sort of car film but you know that there are plenty of films that have some really good cars stuff in them even if they're not really car films so sort of whatever uh i will always love um the fast and the furious yeah franchise but that's not it my all-time favorite is Christine. Ooh, interesting. I've only seen that once. I love that film. Absolutely love it. To the point where I've got model cars of it up on the wall. I've got original film cells from Cinema Run film. Um, I've got press photographs from 1983 from when they were filming it. Yeah. I don't know why. I just like that film. I like the... It speaks to me because... Yeah, obviously we look at 58 from the Fury now and go, oh my God, that's amazing. But it's the it's the underdog. It's the car nobody wants. And yeah. That's pretty much how I buy cars. So yeah. I, think, I think it resonates. None of mine repair themselves, which is a shame. <laughs> but, but conversely, none of mine go on murderous sprees. So that's a benefit. Yeah, I mean, it goes to a dark place, but it, it it's sort of a... a... <laughs> If if anyone wants to know how you why people get obsessed about cars, that might be a good place to point them. Because mm. it it's inexplicable in most cases, but you really do. Another one, a good one for people to watch. If you if you're trying to not justify, but if you, as you say, if you're trying to explain why you are the way you are about cars, get them to watch that film by Eric Banner, Love the Beast. Yeah, because that's a great film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it delves into the psychology of it and, and what, what cars mean and how they sort of transcend being just machines. It's, I think it's a really beautifully done film and uh, it sort of happened and everyone got excited about it and then everybody forgot about it. Yeah. Ooh, I'll tell you one that's just popped into my head. It, it's, it's sort of not really a car. For, it, it's a film that kind of happens a bit around cars. Um, there was a film in the 60s called, a French film called uh, A Man and a Woman in English, un, un homme et une femme, something like that. Is that, is that um, the one with that car it, chase? It's, well, the, 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 the original, um, it's, it's a romance between a woman and a guy who happens to be a rally driver who's driving a Mustang in the Monte Carlo rally. Yes, I've seen And the then there was a sequel 
um, A Man and a Woman 20 Years Later. I've not seen it. I've no idea what's going on, but it opens with one of the best. It's not That's, really even a car chase, but it's some of the best car action that's yeah, ever South, been put on film. Uh, and it's um, just, Fiat I think, Roma. I think it's just that the, the sort of the lead character who's the rally driver and some of his mates have just gone and pissed around in, it looks like some sort of tank proving ground. Yeah. But they are, yeah, they're driving a load of sort of mid-80s European executive stuff. Renault 25, Saab 900. That's a great, great. Peugeot film, 505. Um, and they are absolutely hammering around this uh, proving ground. That there's, you know, what they're making those cars do is astonishing. There's a Mercedes 190E in it. Um, that, that there's this massive drop down sort of a concrete causeway that's probably about one in five. Um, and this uh, one, I'm guessing it wasn't rehearsed. They just let them loose with it. This 190E ends up sideways at the top of this causeway. And one of the other cars just pushes it right away, down yeah. sideways. <laughs> and then it ends, yeah. with, it ends with all of them in a line doing the most ludicrous jump. And the one that's sort of in front is the Renault 25. But because it's, um, the engine slung way out over the front axle, it come, comes down ridiculously nose heavy. Yeah. But as it takes off, it, its bonnet comes off. <laughs> it's, <laughs> you know, at one point, the, 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 um, there's, there's a camera on the sort of low on the nose of one of the cars. Um, and a stone gets um, uh, flicked up and just smashes through yes. the camera lens. Yeah, it's it. Uh, no one I know has. I've I've never seen it. Very few people have even heard of it. But just that sort of five minute sequence at the start of this film is some of the best car action there's ever been. Yeah, I've seen that. And it, a, it's it's a great. I encourage anyone to find that and watch it. It's on YouTube. Yeah. And it's it's just what what happens when you give a load of cars to some guys who can obviously really fucking drive yeah. and, and just, just let, just tell them to have at it. <laughs> yeah. That's really good. Proper cinema. <clears throat> um, okay. Then, uh, uh, is there uh, one car you don't get? Hmm. One car I don't get. Yes. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get hate email for this. Uh, the the current or the most recent Focus RS. Yeah, I did kind of like. Yeah, I did kind of like that when it first came out, but then yeah, I started looking more into the uh, specs of it, and it was really bloody heavy. Mm. Um, and, uh, I had a, I, I had a, that, that was a Mark three focus, wasn't it? I had a Mark three focus estate at the time and I, I was working as a bus driver as well. And I exaggerate slightly, but there honestly wasn't that much difference between in seat height between one, between a Mark three focus and a bus. So it's <laughs> like, is that really going to work with an RS? It's, I, I had a press, I used to be the editor of Performance Ford magazine and I got a press um, ST of the same generation and mm. I drove it 
uh, we, we did knock Hillen back in 48 hours for the touring cars because it all sort of tied in with a team that had a focus as well. Mm. And in the real world, out there mixing with other traffic, that ST does everything you need it to do. Yeah. So when our, so an RS is a bit faster and it's got it's got a drift button. Big whoop. Where yeah. are you going to use that on, on the A13? It's, it's it's gimmick, and you're never you're never going to be in a position to exploit what it can do. Yeah. It's it's just you know it, it's I'm going people are going to hate this. It's just dick waving. That's all it is. Yeah. It's, I've got I've got an RS. So you know at, at least the Mark II RS with. With all that power and the, the, the clever differential and all that. And the five-cylinder engine. And the five-cylinder engine. It was a bit more of an event to drive than perhaps a normal ST, and it looked a bit more exciting. But the RS, it just yeah, does nothing for me. Yeah. And that goes for... Also, anything modern that people buy on PCP and just put a pop-bang map on it. Yeah. yeah I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. Get it. Yeah, no, I... I the... the uh... That Gen Focus RS, the the engine turned out to be a bit fragile as well, I think. Uh, and uh, that, that yeah, that there were certainly some issues with it. I think it might have been head gasket. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, that the, there were a fair few videos of people sort of um, cars and coffeeing them, because um, <laughs> it it was very as as I think a few uh, motoring journalists learned as well. The drift mode. Um, it was, if, if you can drift, it makes your life easier. If you can drift a bit, it'll help you be better. And if you can't drift, it, it, it's going to spit you off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great on Brunsingthorpe, rubbish in Basingstoke. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay then. And then last question, uh, you've got unlimited budget for this one. Uh, one car to keep forever. Can I build it? Sure. I'd have a replica of um, Sean's Monte Carlo from Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Interesting. That That's actually quite a good, because that's quite a simple car, really. Simple, bead-rolled aluminium interior, roll cage, stupid great V8, slicks. So you need. Cool, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I'd, I'd, def- I'd definitely go with that one. <laughs> An answer I wasn't expecting at all, but there we go. I have to say, that asking that question, um, uh, uh, I've been really surprised by every answer, mostly because um, everyone sort of pitched it at a much lower level than I was expecting them to. Um, mm. I was expecting McLaren F1s and you know, Ferrari 250 GTs. Um, but you know, I, I, I don't think anyone has really said anything that would cost much more than a hundred grand so far. Evidently, my, by by contrast, my my answer, and I think I've mentioned this before, is a uh, Fijonier Flashy Talbot Largo, which is sort of three million quid minimum. So evidently, I have more expensive tastes. Fancy. Anyway, right. Well, as I say, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll be speaking to Chris again, so we'll uh, we'll leave it there for now. Um, so I'd like to say thanks to my guest, Chris Pollitt. Uh, where can people find you on social media and the internet and stuff? Uh, obviously, CarinaClassic.co.uk. Um, 
there is not the number two grand.co.uk and then there's twitter which is at the pollet cool um anything in particular at the moment you want to plug just car classic keep me in a job <laughs> can't say fairer than that um you can find me on twitter at headbolts uh please leave a rating and whatever else you do on uh, podcast platforms to uh push me up the ratings um and uh, please do join me again next week when i'll be talking to someone else thanks for listening <laughs>